Today on the Joel Klatt Show, we finally, finally have parody in college football. And on a weekend that we all thought would not be great, college football remains undefeated. College football has never been better. Interest has never been higher. I believe that we are at the dawn of the golden age of college football. It was an epic day of college football. It was one of those days where you fall in love with the sport all over again. Hey, welcome into the Joel Klatt Show presented by Hampton by Hilton. Uh, what an amazing weekend that it was on a weekend that we thought we were just going to get a bunch of bad games. And guess what? College football delivered. There's a lot to get into. I'm going to get into uh, my top 10 and why I actually am more excited about this season than I have been for any season in college football in the last, shoot, maybe decade. We've got... I'll I'll talk about all the teams really in the kind of the top 11. Um, I've got to talk obviously about, about Ohio state a little bit. Washington will get into Bama. We'll definitely touch on Bama. Um, And then Colorado and that Epic game on, on uh, Saturday night as well. Hey, if you want to follow the show on social media, any of the social medias, wherever you're at, go to there at Joel Klatt show. If you want to subscribe to the show, please do that. If you're listening, wherever you get your podcast. And if you're watching on YouTube, go ahead and subscribe, like the show. And uh, we got stuff out there. And like I said, and have been saying, we do have YouTube exclusives. There is an exclusive video up on YouTube from last week. We'll try to continue to do this as much as we can. Um, You can't find it anywhere else. I've got a Drew Aller breakdown there on the YouTube channel, The Joel Klatt Show on YouTube. Okay, let's get into this thing because what an incredible weekend that it was. Um, There were no great games at least on paper going into the weekend. And then it it turned into really kind of like an epic weekend with an unbelievable nightcap on Saturday from, from Boulder. I want to start though with my top 10 and really, I I wish it was 11 because I want to include like Oregon in, in this discussion, but let's frame it this way for a long time, really for the better part of a decade, and this this speaks to the dominance of teams like Alabama and Clemson and even Georgia and even Ohio State at times. But you could really put a line under at times the number 1 team in college football, the number 2 team, the number 3 team and just be like the, these two or three are so above everybody else. Everybody else is like way way below behind. And then we just know that the champion is going to come from one of those three. It's been like that for a long time. And candidly, and and college football fans, we talk about this all the time. That was kind of boring, right? And, And I think that I would even agree with you. And as great as I think the sport is, and as much as I love it, there was only like so many Alabama Clemson national championships that we could have before it's like, oh my gosh, we're playing a whole season and we know exactly who's going to be in the national championship game. Now we get to 2023, we have no idea. And that line has fallen from below one, two, or three, or even four to like 11. 11. And that's why I'm sorry, Oregon fans, you don't see your logo up here. And it's just because the template wouldn't fit 11 teams. I include Oregon in this. If you go down to 11, I don't know who the best team is. And that's amazing for the sport. That's not a knock. That is not a knock. I am here for it this year. 
I think that this is going to be an unbelievable finish to this thing. So I've got Georgia and Michigan up there at the top, but let's face it, those are kind of placeholders for teams that we felt like were going to be great going into the season. Texas on the back of the win against Alabama, although does that look very good right now? USC is at four. I think they're really good. Haven't played anybody. Washington, you could say something similar, although holy cow. How about that performance? More on that and what happened in East Lansing in a little bit. Ohio State at six. They could easily be higher after the way that they played. Florida State at seven. They got the big win and the struggle. Penn State's in there. Utah, Notre Dame, Oregon. All these teams. I think any of these teams could beat any of the other teams on any given Saturday. And that is what I'm here for. I've been arguing for a long time that we've needed to achieve or or strive for a greater amount of parity in the sport. And I think that we've got it this year. And so I'm going to celebrate it. I think that it's fantastic. Now, having said that, I do think that that means that we don't have a great team this year in college football. That doesn't mean that none of these teams can't become great. Okay. Because let's face it, even in, in like uh, 2019, at this point in the season, I don't think LSU even knew that they were great. They built upon that road victory at Texas and became a great team. And in particular, at the end of the season, played some of the best football that we've ever seen. So that doesn't mean that one of these teams can't become great. But at this point, we can take stock in what the season is and has become and what these teams are. Not what we think they are, but what they are. And after three weeks, I don't know if we've got a great team in college football. We've got a bunch of really good teams. So that that second tier from a few years ago has gotten better and the top tier has maybe regressed just a little bit and come back to the pack. And, and, and I think that that's great. And by the way, this last weekend was a case study in what I'm just talking about. You can go line by line through these teams and find flaws. And then also you can find things that you're like, yeah, but I really love this about them. And, and, and I think that's a very cool thing. So like even Georgia, I don't think they look like the clear cut number one team. They're going to stay there because they've won back to back national championships. Obviously, their roster is really talented. But, do the, you know, like should the number one team at home be down 14-3 at halftime to South Carolina? Probably not. Probably not. But this year they are. OK, Um there are a lot of teams that I think in that top 11 could break through and, and get to the playoff for the first time. You've got like Texas and USC. They've never been to the playoff. Florida State's never been to the playoff. Penn State's been the you know bridesmaid, never the bride, more than anybody else in the playoff era. Utah is in there. They could make a push for a playoff. You know, th these teams could be, be breaking through for their program, which is a great thing. And then you get to kind of the, the subtext of what's going on. And what's going on is that the SEC is not dominating college football this year. What we normally see in college football is that there's two great teams out of the SEC, sometimes three great teams, and then like maybe one other one. And it's been Ohio State for a long time. There was Clemson for a long time. There was Florida State for a couple of years, Oregon early in the playoff era. And you could say like, okay, those are the four, four best teams. But now you look up. And in the AP top 10, there's only one SEC team. That's the first time in six years that there's only been one SEC team in the top 10 in the AP poll. The last time was after week three of the 2017 season when Bama was number one and they didn't have much. Georgia hadn't become Georgia yet. 
And so now you're seeing some of that parity. The other conferences getting really good. And yet, like, I'll go back to this point that you, you see some of these teams and they have struggled. And yet you can praise some of the things that they've done. Georgia, Michigan, Texas, Florida State, Penn State, grinding out wins this weekend against teams that they should really handle. All right? Like, Georgia trailing 14-3 is unacceptable. But they played great in the second half like a championship team should do. 21 nothing run in the second half, and they win kind of going away. Michigan led, what, 7-6 with the, like, five minutes left in the second quarter? That's not dominant. J.J. McCarthy, I was singing his praises before my game, Illinois-Penn State, about how he was the best quarterback in the Big Ten, goes out there and throws three terrible picks. So it's like, nah. But then what do they do? Turn it on. And win going away against Bowling Green, 24-0 the rest of the way. Texas tied at 10 in the fourth quarter with Wyoming? What are we doing? This always goes to that thing. What do I tell you about Texas? And I'm going to continue to tell you this unless they change. They always play to the level of their competition. That's what makes the Big 12 so difficult for them, even though them and Oklahoma are the only two Big 12 teams ranked at this point. Now, having said that, what do they have? Firepower. In the fourth quarter, they win going away, 21 nothing run. <laughs> you know, so like for all the things you can criticize, then there's things that you're like, oh, wow. But, you know, clearly they've got that top end potential. Penn State only led by six in the second quarter against an Illinois team that could not play offense, could not play offense at all. That Illinois team can play defense, though. But you, at the end of the day, like Gus and I are going through filler material for the entire fourth quarter because it's like games in hand because the defense got, what was it? Five takeaways on the day. They were dominant on the defensive side. Drew Aller did what he needed to do. Didn't turn the ball over. The one that's the most alarming is Florida state. You know, I mean, I guess you could say like it was just reverse from everything that I just said, all these other teams you could say like slept walk through portions of the first half and then turned it on late. Florida State built up a big lead, played well, 31-10 in the third quarter, looked fine. And then all of a sudden, here comes Boston College. So it was reversed. But then you look up at the end and you're like, man, BC had real chances in that game, like real chances in that game. Missed an extra point in the third quarter. That was critical. They failed on a fourth and two. From the Florida State five in the third quarter, had ball, had the ball down two with four minutes left. Um, couldn't get anything going, had to punt it away. <sighs> I mean, like they did all of this and had 18 penalties, Boston College. So that's the only one where I'm like, okay, Florida State did not look great. They did not look great. You know, you, you th these teams we expect more out of. So to the point, has parity arrived? Yes. Yes, it has, because we don't have the clear number one. Now, having said that, there were a couple of teams that I was really impressed with in the top 10. And let me start with Ohio State. And I know what you're going to say is like, well, it was only Western Kentucky. Yes, but Western Kentucky can play offense. And this Ohio State defense did a really good job against Western Kentucky. Now you look up and Ohio State's defense they're one of the better defenses in the country, at least statistically. Now, we saw that early last year. Not to this level, by the way. They're playing better than they were at, at this point last season. 
But what they didn't do is, is sustain that through some of their quality opponents later in the year. So that's still a wait and see. And you know what? Fair enough. But they figured a lot of things out on the offensive side. In fact, just a bit earlier, I was buzzing through the film for Ohio State. They were a lot better on offense. I, they, they got, it was sluggish against Indiana. It wasn't great against Youngstown. Like, I get it. I get it. They're trying to figure out the quarterback position. They finally just put a flag in the ground and they say, Kyle McCord is going to be our starting quarterback. And then they came out and laid 63 on Western Kentucky, got big plays down the field, got Harrison involved early. Abuka had a much better game. I thought that the running backs ran a lot better and had cleaner lanes to run through because the offensive line played their most complete game to this point. Ohio State looked really good. Here's the problem, though. With Ohio State, whenever they look great, listen, they're in a lose-lose all the time. Because if they look great, we just say, well, that's what they should do. And then if they struggle at all, or they look sluggish at all, we just hammer them for it. And I'm not even going to say we, because I haven't really done that to Ohio State. I know I've called them at times sluggish this year, and I think that was fair. But their fan base, man, they are hard on that program, hard on that program. And the national media is hard on that program. This is a team that's 3-0. They're breaking in a new quarterback, and he is looking better and better and played his best game last week. We're going to find out everything we need to know about Ohio State this week when they face Notre Dame. And you know what? Fair enough. But I would just say this. Imagine a scenario. Imagine a scenario where... Kyle McCord goes out and throws three bad interceptions and Ohio State is the one that's in a bit of a dogfight in the second quarter, 7-6 with Bowling Green. We'd never let him hear the end of it. And yet Michigan, it's just like, yeah, that's fine. It's like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. They're still number two. Like nobody's talking about that. Nobody. Imagine a scenario where Ohio State goes on the road to the equivalent of Boston College in the Big Ten. Let's call it, shoot, I don't know, Purdue. Maybe it's Illinois. Maybe it was the game against Indiana. I, I, I don't know. And imagine a scenario where they are in a dogfight late. And Boston College, in this respect, or the team they're facing, has chance after chance after chance to win the game, that team has 18 penalties. Ohio State escapes, escapes. What would we be talking about? Sky's falling in Columbus. That's what we'd be talking about. This, this is why it's so difficult to be Ryan Day. This is why it's so difficult to be Kyle McCord or Brian Hartline or any of those guys at Ohio State. The level of scrutiny and perfection that we throw on their back and, and the, the, the completely unrealistic expectations on a week-to-week -week basis, they have to win by 100 or else it's like, what's wrong with Ohio State? Well, they won 63-10 to and did it going away. Great defense. Offense looked really good. You look up statistic, uh, statistically, one of the best offenses in the country, one of the best defenses in the country. And we, we don't put them in the same box as everybody else. Imagine if they were playing Wyoming at home in the shoe and they were in a 10-10 game in the fourth quarter. 
sky would be falling. Imagine if they were playing South Carolina in the shoe and they were down 14-3 at halftime. Sky is falling. We wouldn't let them hear the end of it. And these other teams, it's just all like, yeah, you know, that's fine. Good job. Way to pull away late. That 21-0 run really did it for you. So I'm here to defend Ohio State. They beat Western Kentucky 63-10. to They scored 42 in the first half. Their first-year starter, who's starting for the first time as the true named starting quarterback, went 19 of 23 for 318 yards, three touchdowns, and no interceptions. Marvin Harrison Jr. went five for 126 in a touch. Abuka had two touchdowns. And Henderson goes 13 carries for 88 yards and two touchdowns at 6.8 yards per carry. Kudos. Kudos. Now, if I were you and I just listened to me give that entire dissertation, I would I would be asking, well, then why didn't you put them higher in your poll, Joel? Well, that's what I started this with. One through 11, you can put them anywhere. Anybody can go anywhere. And, and truth be told, I just wanted to wait and see this game against Notre Dame. The winner against Notre Dame is probably going to be my number two team in the country next Monday depending on how the game goes, obviously, but that's where we're headed. All right, last team that I wanted to talk about from this whole discussion, from the top 10, my top 10, and really it's top 11, because remember, Duck fans, I'm including you. Oregon, you're in this. You're in this conversation. I really like Oregon. I think we're underselling right now and undervaluing Washington. Washington is freaking good, man. Like, not just, oh, good for a Pac-12 team. Oh, you know, they throw the ball well. That's just a really good football team. Kalen DeBoer is a good football coach. Michael Penix is a, a bona fide Heisman candidate, period. They housed Michigan State. Not even close. They beat them 41-7, led 35-0 at half. And Penix was an incredible 27 of 35 for 473 yards and four touchdowns, no interceptions. They've got great wide receivers on the outside. He had time, was barely touched in the pocket. They throw it down the field as well as anybody in the country. And that's a pretty good defense. And I've been telling you this since the preseason. Remember, I believe I had him at like six in my preseason poll. And and the reason is is like, I I think that this is a legit playoff team. Absolutely. There's no doubt it. If there's one team in the country that we are are underappreciating right now as as a college football entity, right, as just a, a, a national spotlight, it's absolutely Washington. If there's one player that we're undervaluing right now in the country, it's Michael Penix. This guy can play. I covered him in the COVID year when he was the quarterback at Indiana. He went into the shoe and gave the Buckeyes all they could handle that day. He transfers. He stayed healthy, which was his really the issue at Indiana. He transfers, kind of follows Kalen DeBoer, who had left Indiana, who went to Fresno, and then he winds up in Washington. They reunite. This offense is tailor-made for him, and when he's in rhythm, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the country. Hands down. Hands down. Washington is a problem for everybody, not just in the Pac-12, not just for USC, for everybody. Let me just put it to you this way. Which offense, which quarterback, which team do you trust in the top 11 to get into a shootout with Washington and actually come out on top? 
that's when this gets interesting. Do you really trust Michigan to do that? Do you really trust Penn State to do that or Georgia to do that? Do you really trust Notre Dame to do that? Are we undervaluing Washington? Absolutely. Absolutely. Washington is legit. Are you ready to take control of your health and conquer your weight loss goals? Look no further than Factor, your ultimate solution to eating better. Each Factor meal is always fresh, chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. No more waiting around or spending hours in the kitchen. Just heat and eat. It's really that simple. With over 35 different options to choose from each week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto, Factor ensures you'll never get bored. With more than 60 add-ons to help you stay full and feeling good all day long pancakes, smoothies, and more. With Factor, there's no prepping, no cooking, and certainly no cleanup needed. The best part? You can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Sign up and save because we've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Eat better, feel better, and conquer your day with Factor. So what are you waiting for? Head to factormeals.com slash Joel50 and use code Joel50 to get 50% off. That's code Joel50 at factormeals.com slash Joel50 to get 50% off. Fuel up fast, eat better, and achieve greatness. Get started today. Hey, it's my favorite time of year. It's football season, as you know. I take it really seriously. It's my job. So when I'm traveling on the road uh, to watch my favorite teams, I can't risk calling the wrong play with where I stay. Wherever I go, I know that I can count on Hampton by Hilton. I can depend on their comfortable rooms and their warm and friendly service. Uh, Their free hot breakfast, by the way, is an absolute game changer. Whether you're cheering on your team from the stands or never leaving the tailgate, Hampton by Hilton will always give you that win. All right, let's move on. Um, let's move on to, let's go to Saturday night in Boulder. This is what it sounded like. Shadur Sanders out of the shotgun. He's got a slot to the boundary side right. Wing to the left. Motion man through the backfield. Shadur takes a snap, drops to throw, scans, throws over the middle. Mikey Harrison, Grant with the five. Hands on. Touchdown. Touchdown, Colorado. Oh, man, I love that call. Um, that was Mark Johnson, by the way, on uh, News Radio. Uh, 850 KOA. I I listened to Mark for a long time because he called my games and been the voice of the buffs for a a long time. So fun to hear his voice on this show. Let's like this, this Colorado, Colorado state game was wild. I mean, wild. Okay. There are so many different angles that we can use to talk about this game. Number one, I've, I've seen the ratings. This was the highest rated game by far all day long, like by, by a pretty substantial margin, which is wild. It's a 10 Eastern game. Um, and millions of people stayed up. You could see it on social media. I certainly stayed up, flew home, um, got home, and I was watching the second half. I was, I was following it online on the plane and then in the car ride to the house and then watched the end of the game at, at the house. This was... A chippy game, a really chippy game, obviously. You think of the buildup to this game, 
And the buildup almost superseded that this was a football game. Almost every major television show that deals with sports over the last couple of days was there. Live Thursday, Friday. The buildup was incredible. Both pregame shows there. You know, you've got Lil Wayne doing a concert. He brings the team out. You've got the sunglasses line from Jay Norvell earlier in the week. Um, Dion gives his team sunglasses. This thing was everything but football leading up to it. The Rocky Mountain Showdown, near and dear to my heart, there's no doubt. And it was exactly what you would expect a game that was everything but football. That's exactly what we got in the first quarter. It was a horrendous first quarter. (laughs) Turnovers, sloppiness, chippiness, cheap hits, dirty plays. And by the way, that, that was a bit on both sides. And I know Colorado fans are going to be like so upset that I said that, but it was it's true. The hit on Travis Hunter was absolutely dirty. I'm not going to get into that on this show because I'd like to find out more. And I will find out more. And we all will uh, about that hit. And so that's all I'm going to touch on that for now. It Well, it was really dirty, nasty. Has no place in the game. I hope Travis is is healthy and can play soon, and we'll see how that comes out. But then let's get back to the game. Like the first quarter took an hour because of all the penalties. CSU had 10 penalties on the night. Colorado had, or excuse me, CSU had 17 penalties on the night. Colorado had 10 penalties on the night. And for the majority of that game, I want to give Jay Norvell and his staff and those players. Fowler Nicolosi, the quarterback from CSU, Braden Fowler Nicolosi, was sensational. Their wide receivers were terrific. Their game plan was great. They were the better team for a long time in that game. A long time. In fact, if Shiloh Sanders doesn't get the pick six, you know, Colorado State is is owning Colorado for a large section of that game. And I even tweeted out and will defend they were out coaching Colorado. Colorado did not adjust very well. Let me give you a couple of examples of that. When Colorado State was on offense, they threw, I mean, it it felt like no less than 20 crossing routes. And it wasn't just crossing routes because crossing routes can happen at any level of the defense. These were shallow cross routes or drive routes. And Colorado had no answer for these shallow cross routes. And I knew it was about to happen. I'm sure most of you knew it was about to happen, and they could not defend it. They couldn't defend it, and they had no answer. That was a problem. That's a problem when you have no answer. Guess what they're about to see from Oregon? Bunch of crossing routes, shallow cross routes. Why? You had no answer. And and quite frankly, like some other teams are going to do it in a more creative fashion and get even faster players, the ball in those spaces, and it could be dangerous. It could be dangerous moving forward. You think Oregon's not going to have a plan for the shallow cross? You think Lincoln Riley and USC is not going to have a plan for those shallow cross routes? My goodness, watch out. And guess what? When it comes to USC, guess who's going to be catching that shallow cross? Zachariah Branch. Good luck tackling him. Good luck tackling him. So that, that is like Colorado State schemed something up, And Colorado had no answer. So that's 
at, at one point being out coached. Colorado tried to play soft and just say, let's rally up and make the tackle. That wasn't working. They went to man coverage. That wasn't working. They had no answer. Part of that was personnel-based. I don't know if Colorado could do much because Travis Hunter was out of the game. If Travis Hunter is in the game, then you put him on what would be considered the tight wide receiver, the nasty split wide receiver, who in these cases was running the shallow cross. You lock him up, man. You can play zone behind it. You can do a lot of creative things right there. You can bracket, but without Hunter, your hands are a little bit tied. Having said that, they didn't have an answer and they let it go on for far too long. On the other side of the ball, what was happening was, yes, a, a personnel issue, but also Colorado could not find a way to gain yards on the ground. Twofold here. One was, I don't think that they, tr- I don't think they did a great job with their scheme in the run game. And number two is their offensive line played awful, awful. The reason that I know that and can say that, these are facts, by the way. This is not bulletin board material. You can't put this up in front of them and say like, oh, it's personal. It's not personal. These are facts. You know how I know that? Because for the majority of the time, Colorado State was running a defense where they were running a light run box on defense. What does that mean, Joel? Well, it generally means that the middle of the field is going to be open and you're going to be heavy in coverage. It means that you have enough players on offense to block every single run defender that they have in the box, in the run front, in the run fit, however you want to say it. You have, as an offense, the run ratios. Now, if you cannot run the football and you have the run ratios, you have major problems on offense, major problems on offense. And they had no answer. They couldn't find a scheme. They couldn't find a way to run the ball and get Colorado State out of that defense. So what did that do? It forced Shador Sanders to sit there and hold the ball in the pocket for too long because they were dropping in coverage. There's nowhere to go. The the zones are tighter. The lanes are tighter. It becomes really difficult. I don't care how good you are. If a defense can play Let me put it this way. If a defense can stop the run with a light run box, you got problems, in particular as a quarterback. Okay, now, having said that, then the last couple of minutes roll around for Colorado. And Colorado State's coaches begin to make mistakes, and Shador Sanders becomes the most most clutch player in college football. And you know what? That's not debatable. That is also a fact, and it has played out now over the course of each one of his games. Shador Sanders led three straight touchdown drives against TCU, and in every one of those drives, Colorado had a deficit, and they had to score touchdowns. Against Nebraska, it was a tight game. They scored on seven of their last eight drives. Against Colorado State, scored on his final three drives of regulation, field goal, field goal, touchdown, and the touchdown came on a 98-yard touchdown drive plus a two-point conversion with under a minute left. He's the most clutch player in college football. He played his best ball when his best was needed. That's what great players do. That's what great players do. In three games so far this season, Shador Sanders 
is throwing for 84%, 26 to 31. He's thrown for 450 yards, 14.6 yards per attempt, and five touchdowns. Every single one of those is the best in college football. Best in college football. In every one of those categories in the fourth quarter. When the fourth quarter comes around, Shador Sanders is the best player in the country. He's the most clutch player in the country. Now, we can have a debate about who's playing the best, who's the best. I talked about Michael Penix. Obviously, Caleb Williams would be in that discussion. There's a lot of great players in the country, and I love covering all of these great players. But when it comes to who is playing the most clutch football in the country, it's not debatable. The facts are in, and the facts are Shador Sanders is the most clutch player in the country. And he has been in each one of these games that they've played, TCU, Nebraska, and now Colorado State. Which means, here's the bottom line for Colorado. As much as there were holes and there were things that would that would cause concern moving forward, and they're there, they're there. We all can see them. There's going to be a reason why they're going to be substantial underdogs to Oregon, okay? Because we all see what went on with the offensive line, and we see what they are defensively without Travis Hunter. Those are issues that they're going to have to remedy. But here's one of the biggest remedies that they have is that all they have to do is keep it close. Because if they're close and he comes on the field, the opposition has problems. That's just the facts. Shador Sanders, most clutch player in the country. If they can keep it within a possession, everybody's going to have problems with them. And, and, And that's a great feeling if you're a coaching staff, if you're a defense, you just have to get to that point. How do we keep it close? Because we got him. And when he comes on the field, man, he was cold-blooded late. I mean, cold-blooded late. CSU went soft in their coverage. They shouldn't have done that. He picked them apart. I thought they should have gone for it on fourth and two um, in regulation and not punted it down there, even though they pinned him at the two-yard line. Great execution on the punt. Colorado State absolutely should have gone for two at the end of the first overtime. And I was wondering, like, when are they going to show? I was wondering when the broadcast was going to show, like, when are they going to talk about or show whether they're going to go for two or not? Because they should have absolutely gone for two. You can't let number two from the opposition walk back on the field. You're not going to stop him. Not in the fourth quarter. Did you read, read the numbers? Did you hear the numbers that I just gave you? Number one in college football in completion percentage, yards, yards per attempt, and touchdowns in the fourth quarter. You can't let that guy back on the field. Colorado State got the benefit of getting the ball second in overtime. I don't know why Colorado took the ball to start overtime. That's a mistake. They took the ball. They scored. They kick an extra point. Colorado State scores. They've got the ball second. You're on the road. You're an underdog in that charged environment. Number two is on the other sidelines, and they kicked the extra point? What? What are we doing? Having said that, guy walked right back onto the field. Bam. How are we doing now? And how about Harrison, the tight end? They found a new weapon on the offensive side. So Colorado will be substantial underdogs, I would guess, to Oregon. But the ace up their sleeve is that all they've got to do is keep it close. If they are within a possession late, watch out. Because number two is that guy. Um, Bama was in trouble. Listen to this. That'll be the final play of the game. The Crimson Tide survives. A gutty, gritty 
final drive of the game offensively for Alabama as the Tide gets the victory and claims a 17-3 win over USF. Nope, nope, nope. Not gutty or gritty. Nope. That was just gross. Sorry, Bama fans. And you know what? I bet you, I know, I know you're smart enough to agree with me. That was gross. And now it's like, yikes. Bama is outside of the top 10 for the first time since 2015. This is not like, how, how do you put this? Like, there's been moments when like App State been like a really good team. And you're like, okay, I could see them upsetting somebody. Heck, South Alabama just like waxed Oklahoma State. But South Alabama is, is a pretty good team in their league. Um, obviously, we've seen Boise State do this. You know, in the past, we saw them do it to Oregon a couple of times. We saw TCU when they were a group of five team. Like they, they, they did this and, and they would constantly do this. This was different. Why? You, you, South Florida was 1-11 last year. 1-11. Their two best players are catching passes for Colorado right now. And Alabama went in there and played like that? Alabama has major problems right now. Major problems. And I don't think they all revolve around the quarterback, by the way. The offensive line is playing terrible right now. And so it doesn't really matter who's behind them because they're not affording them any time whatsoever. They don't have a great cast of wide receivers. What this does, it makes you appreciate even more the way that Bryce Young played last year. You realize what was going on. Like, they had some major holes last year, and Bryce Young covered them up because he was a great player. Well, now you don't have the great player. You have what I would call is like good players at quarterback, but not very good players around them. And the offensive line is it's terrible right now. That's just the, that's just the bottom line. That's the bottom line. So now, like everyone's wondering, like, well, who's the quarterback? What's going on? I firmly believe, firmly believe. Whether he would admit it or not, I believe that Nick Saban used Saturday as a pure audition. I believe he thought to his mind, I know what Jalen Milrow is. I don't have to see that anymore. And he used Saturday as a way to, to evaluate Buckner and Simpson, Tyler Buckner, Ty Simpson. And neither one of them played that great. Again, I, I will admit not all their fault. Not all their fault. By the way, Mark Ingram, who works for us, he said, overreaction. I said it. Now we are on QB3 in a dogfight with USF. I said it was in Bryant Denny, but clearly I'm delusional because of what is transpiring before my eyes. Got to get back to the basics in Tuscaloosa Roll Tide. Let's talk about those basics because Mark is dead on. He is exactly right. They've got to get back to basics. They used this as an audition. This was basically not to be disparaging to South Florida, but a glorified scrimmage. They won, thankfully, for Alabama's sake, but this was an evaluation of quarterbacks so that they could get it on tape and go back and say, who are we going with and what type of a team are we going to be? 
There are moments that you've got to find that out. You've got to see under live circumstances what a quarterback can do. If he's going to play above what he was in practice, is he going to play below what he was in practice? Now they have the evidence and they can move forward. Let me tell you what I think they should do. Jalen Milrow has got to be their quarterback moving forward. Okay. I don't think it's one of these other two guys that played against South Florida. And the reason is, is because of the deficiencies that they have on offense, because of the deficiencies that they have in the offensive line, you have to have Jalen Milrow as your quarterback. The other two will not sustain the season from a physical standpoint and don't provide you enough running ability to equate numbers in the run game. All right, let's talk about that. Here's what Alabama has to be. You want to talk about getting back to basics? They got to go back to basically what Mark Ingram was back in 2009 and 10. They've got, get to, they've got to get back to a team that's going to be methodical on offense, deliberate on offense, shorten the game, remove possessions from the opposition, and hold on to the football. I'm talking about being in a mode like we see Kansas State at times throughout the past where they wouldn't snap the ball, whether it was the last four minutes or not, until there was under five seconds on the play clock. If the clock is running, take it all. Why not? Protect your best asset, which is your defense. That's the, that's the style that Bama's going to have to play because Bryce Young ain't walking back through that door. Okay, so they're going to have to change styles. This is why you have to go with Jalen Milrow, because the style of game has to equate numbers in the run game because you've got to be able to run the ball on first down. If you don't have his hat in the run game, then the opposition is going to be a plus one on you. Why is that? Because there's no threat of the pass. They can't protect. They can't get it to the athletes on the outside. They can't do it right now, so they've got to run the ball. If you have to run the ball, then your quarterback has got to be a factor in the run game. This is why Jalen Milrow has got to be the starting quarterback for Alabama moving forward. Having said that, listen, whatever Nick Saban decides to do is probably the correct decision. I'd be shocked if it wasn't Jalen Milrow because of what I'm talking about right now. They've got Roydell Williams, Jace McClendon. They combined for over 200 yards against South Florida, 6.8 yards per carry. Give them help. Give them help in a quarterback that the defense has to account for. This can only help the offensive line. It can only help those backs. Then once you establish the fact that you can grind it out, be methodical, be deliberate, take extra possessions out of the game, take the ball away from the opposing offense, play on schedule, then what can you do? Throw the ball when you want to. I know it didn't happen against Texas, but let's face it, Alabama had opportunities against Texas. They took the lead 16-13 at one point in that game. A couple of plays go a different way, and like Alabama is right there. Certainly a better version of Alabama than we saw at South Florida winning 17 to three. Like, come on now. Come on now. But again, stylistically, this is going to have to totally change. It's going to have to totally change. The only bright side for Alabama is that there's not a great team out there, at least right now, in particular in the SEC. So everything is still ahead of them. They can develop. And this is the best part about college football is that teams can and generally do develop and get better during the course of the year. And hopefully Bama will. They do have, by the way, the greatest coach in the history of college football. 
as their head coach. So I believe that they will. Last thing today, last thing. I went heavy that Kansas State was like a lock, four and a half over Mizzou. Mizzou. And of course, of course, the, of course, of course, of course. Like, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? Never go that heavy. You know, the only reason Mizzou actually won the game is because I went so hard that this was like, what did I say? I was like, what are we doing? What? what? Idiot. Idiot. I mean, come on, Clat. It was really reminiscent of that LSU three-point line at Arkansas last year after LSU had beaten Bama. And LSU, of course, won by, remember? I remember I was like, this feels like a trap. No way this is only three. How is this only three? LSU won by three. K-State favored by four and a half. At the time, it was still four and a half. I'm sitting there going like, what? What in the world? How? Why? Went down to three. Lose by a 61-yard field goal. Nice kick. That was a nice kick. By the way, I was three and two. Nobody cares that I was three and two on my five picks. Nobody cares that I got the Ohio State cover. They were favored by a million and one by a million and one. So you're welcome for the three and two week, but no, my timeline, what is my timeline filled with? Oh, a nice pick on the Kansas State. I know, I know. Idiot. Never go that hard. It's just going against the gods, which I don't really believe in, but whatever. Um, hey, thanks for listening, as always. I really appreciate you listening. The show has, has been very successful over its first year and now few weeks into the second season, and I appreciate you for what you do. If you would, leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts uh, and hit us up on social media, at Joel Klatt, any of the, uh, at Joel Klatt Show, any of the social medias out there, and uh, you could be featured on the show. You could also send us an email uh, the Joel Class Show mailbag at gmail.com, I believe the email is, and send your questions in there, and we'll get to those during the course of the week. Another show coming up on Wednesday, another show coming up on Thursday as well. We'll get into what will become a great week of games and a slate of games, including a lengthy breakdown on Thursday of that huge one in South Bend as Ohio State goes to take on Notre Dame. Thanks for listening. Have a wonderful week, everybody.